ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Susan Parker, how are you? I'm great. Well, thank you for coming on ATV Talk. I know you're a busy lady. You have a lot of things going on in your life. Um, So I really appreciate you sitting down with us and uh, telling us your story. And I appreciate you contacting me. Well, it's it's, uh, your information was given to me by a listener. Um, His name's Dennis. I don't remember his last name. I apologize, Dennis. If you're listening to this, please forgive me. (laughs) Um, I can open my email and I probably will and, uh, and get your last name, but, but he was kind enough to give me your contact phone number. And I was doing an interview and working on some portions of the ATV talk behind the scenes stuff. And I sent you a message and you answered me back immediately. And I was like, Oh, awesome. And, uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Well, I'm glad to be doing this. I really am. So where has your life gone from the ATV world when we were both much younger uh, to where we are now? Well, um, as of right now, I have uh, my own company, as most people know it. It's DSS Most Wanted. And I've been last two years, I've been really putting everything I have into the company. Um, I'm actually into the world of off-roading, you know, um, but it's all the mud bogging world, but we travel um, from Texas all the way to New York, up and down the East and Southern coast. Um, I was booked solid. I have companies now booking us that people are on waiting lists to get into these events, to even um, set up your company at these events. So we're really succeeding in that world right now. So we got a lot of followers and things like that. And like I said, I'm putting everything I have into it and we travel everywhere. And a lot of good things are starting to come out of that. What exactly um, do you do for the events? Okay. So my company is, it's DSS Most Wanted, um, stands for Dirt Street Snow. And I'm I have my own apparel line and my own accessory line. So we go and set up at these biggest, these big, some of them are like one of the top world's biggest events that there are. And we go and we set up, I set up my whole uh, display, my whole booth and everything. And we work at these events. And so I promote our whole line. Plus we actually sell and we also do customizing there. Um, things like that. So we do fully set up and we're basically going all over the U S well, all over the East coast and Southern States, but we fully set up there and promote and sell our product. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) So we got a little bit of the future out of the way. Let's Mm -hmm. go back in time to ATVs. What, uh, what got you started? Okay, so a lot of people ask me this, and they're always expecting me to say my dad raced or my family raced, or and that's just not the case. It's kind of a unique story. Um, my parents, you know, we grew up on a farm. They crop farmed for a business, and my dad farmed a lot of land. 
And we always had ATVs around the farm, just drove them, stuff like that. But nobody was ever into them as far as racing, nothing like that. So for whatever reason it was, um, I started watching the two-wheel dirt bikes, motocross, stuff like that. I just loved it. I thought it was absolutely the neatest sport that there was. And I just remember, though, I still wanted to do it, but on ATVs. And I kept bugging my parents, bugging my parents to just let me race or do something with the ATVs. And they were always like, my mom specifically was like, oh, you'll do it once and that's going to be the end of it. And I was, you know, I just kept kind of bothering her about it. And finally, a local shop near our house, it was at the time called Pine Grove Yamaha. He was doing the hair scrambles. They were running the hair scrambles. And he convinced my mom to just let me try it out. Well, that first year, I was, I had a stock warrior at the time, a Yamaha warrior, which is funny. And I signed up for these um, hair scrambles and I just started winning like all the races in the men's B class. And I just started um, dominating that. And after I did that, they're like, wow, you should try the sport of motocross. And I got them to convince us to do that, convince my parents to do that. And Again, as soon as I entered that sport, again, I was dominant. Even on a Warrior at the time, I won the champ, the District 6 championship on a Warrior in the men's B class, and I was 16 <laughs> years old. So it was great. And just from then, I just took off. It just, that was it. From then on, then I just started trying nationals. And then here, it, there, Susan Parker became... <laughs> So nice. how it started, nobody in my family raced, not, no brothers raced, nothing like that. It was me that wanted to do it. And my mother was until up until then, um, she just questioned it. But after that, my mom was like my number one support. So and she was all for it. And like I said, we just started doing nationals. And one thing led to another. And there it went. As as you got older, you didn't uh, you didn't go back to the farm. No, like ATVs then became our life. Like we were obviously at all the nationals, um, and then I was still because I was so young, so I was still in school. So between school and ATVs, that was my life. There was nothing else. Wow, That's and cool. I actually loved it because back that that whole. Um, timeline that we were in back then I have met the most neatest people uh, to this day I it's unexplainable unless people like you and the other people that raced when I raced they can understand and they know what I'm talking about but nothing compares to that time frame nothing the people the races everything and it's something that I will always till the day I die will Always, never forget, never forget. It was the best times of my life. One of the things that I remember from that time is, or still do, because I still deal with, or or I'm in contact with so many of the people, is it didn't matter what flag you're wearing or carrying or what decals you had on your bike. Nowadays, we all talk. We all remember each other. We all look out for one another. And even if you're still racing or if you're still competitors, uh, it, there's no more animosity. It's, hey, how you doing? Everything going okay for you? 
you know, good, you know, you guys are looking good. You know, I've even worked on competitors machines at the races because there was nobody there or they couldn't, they, they couldn't make it to the event and their guy wasn't going to race unless somebody helped him. So it's a big family. And, and I, I almost say this every episode, the ATV family is, is amazing. I know. And you know what, because you say that, because it doesn't, no other sport compares. They don't have that. They don't. And I think the one reason why I'm so drawn to this, um, the off-roading mud bogging world, as I put it to you, is because those people that are involved with that remind me so much of the ATV world that I'm used to coming from. Those people, like, they just really do. They remind me exactly like it. I think that's why I enjoy those huge events and working there. And I just love the people there. And I think it's because of that also. It just reminds me so much of the upbringing I had with the ATVs. It was down to earth. Yeah. You know, all good people. Just down to earth people. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows that unless you were in, like I told you, that era that we were in, you just won't even, they they can't even understand it. it. It was the best of the best. Even the riders, the pro male riders had so much talent and there was so many of them. So you never knew who was going to win from moto to moto, race to race. It didn't matter because it, they were so unbelievable. Every single one of them. Right. So crazy. And then when I got into it, you had the best of the best women. There's only a handful of women that were on our category that could race and do at that com- competition level that we were at. Cause we, we were both Heather and Angela. We were in, we could race in the men's a class and compete. Yep. There was only a handful of us women that were at that level. And it's just, you don't have that. I mean, it's that whole error, that whole timing was just unbelievable. Exactly. It was. And uh, I got to spend some time on the West Coast with Angela when she left the East Coast racing, the, the GNC. Mm-hmm. She came out and rode uh, on the West Coast. And she she's tough. She's yeah. tough. She ran in the Pro-Am men's division. Well, just the Pro-Am class and, you know, ran top five. Yeah, that's that. That's what there's only that talent back. There's only a handful of women that could compete at the levels that we were competing at. And I think they told me to this day, um, the Pro Canada race in Montreal, the Supercross that they invite some of us to. Um, I believe they told me, and it's all male male pro event. And I believe to this day, no woman has ever qualified still for that event. And I remember I was in top 10, you know, I, not only did I qualify, but in the men's pro class in that supercross race in Montreal, but I was in top 10 position. Unfortunately, um, my air filter fell off and it sucked dirt in and it, it, it made my motor um, crash, but other than that, like I said, I still done it and I did it. Yeah, that gripes me to this day that that happened. But I was in top 10 and yes, I did qualify. And they told me to this day, I don't well, even has. has done it. So it's, it's the things that we accomplished and done. Um, it's just unbelievable. 
as women writers. And that's also what my company now stands for. It's the whole women behind women, standing behind women and things like that. That's why I actually um, do what I do to this day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, one, the second biggest episode so far that I've dropped, which we're still babies, we're only four months old, you know, but, but our second biggest episode is Tori and she's the current works woman's champion, two mm-hmm. times champion. And it's the, and it's the second biggest episode on my podcast. See, that's what, and they want to see that. It's good. You're doing this, these things because women are, you know, it's growing and growing, growing the whole girl power, women power thing. And they want to see things like that because there are women that are growing up looking for, like looking forward to seeing other women succeed and, it's just that also is growing. So they need to see things like this. They want to see things like this. One of the pioneers in the women's deal, Carol Bryant. She's coming on the podcast. She'll be, her episode will, will launch in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I got to talk to her and she raced when she started, there was no women's class. It was all, she had to race with the boys. You know, they finally got a couple gals out there and, and it got a little bigger. And then as she rolled out, I guess she, she crashed and got injured and, and decided to, you know, the the recovery would take too long to come back. So she ended her racing career, but she, you know, I remember she was, she was fast. The boys didn't want her in the class because she beat most of them. Yes. And that's awesome. And women want to hear about these things. They should. Exactly. A world that we're in that women are now, I mean, they crawled to get where they were get, I mean, with women's rights and things like that. And it's just growing so much that it's only a positive thing. And like I said, they need to hear about it and they want to. So it's great that you're doing this. It really is. Well, I hold such an, I mean, I love the ATV industry and I love all portions of it. And we don't get respect as ATV people. I know. <laughs> and and then and then you be a woman in the ATV world, you even get less respect. Um cuz I see the disrespect to the the motocross women as well in the motorcycle industry. They don't get the respect that they deserve. Uh and you know, I was racing a works race long after I retired. You know, I shouldn't have been out there anyways, and I'm on my my CRF and I'm thinking I'm having a great time and and Dustin Nelson's wife, who wasn't his wife at the time but is now jumped over me and to this day i you know bash i love talking to bash because she's just she's a phenomenal rider and and um a lot of fun and you know when when you have to set your ego aside and and tell this young lady how impressed you are with her because she jumped over you and, and being a man, which, you know, men have egos and, mm-hmm. you know, and I had to, right then I said, you know what, <laughs> I can't have an ego here. This gal's awesome, you know? And, uh, so th- th- that's where I come from. And I have always taught my daughter, which I have three of them. Uh, my oldest daughter, Juliana, I- I've always taught her, you will not rely on a man. You will not. You're tough enough. You can do every, anything you need. You can do. And that's great. And it's great. And you always, but also as a woman, as a woman, 
in, we're still technically in a man's world. So we're always going to have all these issues. We're, we're going to, it's just, that's how it is. That's life. Um, but I believe these women by hearing other power women speak and them being able to look up to people, they'll always keep pushing that drive. You know, that what you said, um, you can be independent, you can make it. Um, just that's the things that I think people like me would just hope to get across to other women. Because even like with me now, yes, I'm not racing, but even my company, I mean, I'm doing some of these shows that I go, I, I, I mean, I drive straight through to Texas. I'll drive straight through to Mississippi. Plus one, once I get there, I do all the setups. A lot of it I do by myself, you know, the 40 foot gooseneck trailer. I do everything by myself. A lot of these shows and a lot of people recognize that alone at these events. But when I'm set up, I'm still in that male dominated field. And I still, even though I'm not racing, I'm still having to put up with it, um, with the whole male thing, how they are with women. Even though, like I said, it's not racing, but me being in it still with my company, I still have to deal with things that we're trying to promote here with other women. And it's, it's just going to always be an issue. It, it is. It's just how you handle it. And how you conduct yourself, I believe, is like key to all this. Well, the stronger you are and the more confident you are, yeah. the, you know, you're going to scare some men away. And, it's and, true. Other, and others are just going to step right in and go, hey, yeah, let's do this, whatever. You know, great. And, and I don't care what it is. Let's, you know, I have a I have a goal. I have a job to do. We have things to get done. And I don't care who's standing next to me or who's helping me. Let's just get it done. You know? whether it be life or, or, or whatever it is, you know, it, I've never, I've never had, um, I've never not had a woman racer since, since I've been in the la traveling the last 20 or so years, we've been helping a, a woman at the work series, um, whenever they come along. So, you know, Brianna Curley is a three-time champion. She was running our stuff. And I remember going to the track and working on her bike and I didn't do it because she was a woman. I did it because she was good. <laughs> you know, she needed yeah. assistance and that I was helping all the other guys. So why, why would I not help her? You know, but this is exactly what needs to be done more and more people like you, you know, that with that thinking concept, because it's just, it's true. Like I said, it's even though you don't have to race to have to go through this um, with the whole male and the egos and because I'm going through it now. Like I said, I got into an event. My company is allowed to set up at events that people are on waiting lists for. And I get grief from it from male, other male companies that are competitive with my company. They do the same things as us. They are competitors. And I get all kinds of grief. To this day, um, just alone, just by my company, um, really succeeding. And I get a lot of slack from that too. Just like I said, just from that. And I don't even, I'm not even racing, but it feels like that same principle. It's still competitive though. And yep. business, business, I think racing sets you up to, to understand competition 
and to be able to deal with the stresses of the of the business and the setup and the and the things that you have to do to get ready to go racing it's similar if you're in a competitive business you have to do the same things you know you have to be ready to go to work and to and to get the job done and and you know what i'm i'm happy that you're fighting the fight and and taking the battle to them and and kicking their butts because equality is is something that we have to have it's very difficult to achieve it because there's too many ignorant people i agree and 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 a lot of these mud cuz i'm in a whole different um a whole different industry that that you people know me from so some of these people didn't know anything about me didn't know my background nothing and then when they started learning more about me they were like oh okay so i'm like oh now you see me different well so it's it's nuts why couldn't they just see you the same yes i mean and correct you know it, it happens in 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 every walk of life too you know uh you have to adapt and overcome you know because i've traveled all over the world and in some places you know they look at you like who are you and why are you here and well i'm here to work on that because that guy needs me and they're like oh sorry you know and then they open the door for you and and you're in but I, I, uh, I get it. And I, I have huge respect. Um, but I would like to hear a little bit more about your ATV racing career. Okay. What did you prefer TT or motocross? Well, motocross, of course, because that I mean, I've absolutely loved motocross. Um, but at the time when I was racing, as you know, it, you were kind of forced to run TT. You had to, you couldn't just run motocross or run TT at the time they had them combined, yep. but you had to run them both. Right. So I started, you know, um, you know, it wasn't a particular favorite of mine TT, but again, I was really good at it. And I remember at one point um, for East coast ATV at the time, um, I was offered a full, a full ride for a Yamaha Banshee to run flat track. And I remember doing that. That's now after a little bit of my career, um, is when that happened. But why I'm mentioning this is because I was saying you, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But then I ended up racing it also. And I remember this, which I have the footage of this. This was really funny. Dustin Wimmer was at our one of our local it was one of the district six flat track races and he showed up and at the time i was winning everything on that banshee like we were winning the championships and all that and he showed up and i'm like oh man so i was like well it is what it is here we go and to this day that video is so cool i mean i just it looked like i was shot out of a cannon off the start and i just walked it just and so even Dustin Wimmer, I mean, he was pull, trying to push all he could, but I, we just, I mean, I won and everything. It was great. I just love seeing things like that because again, it shows women can do, you know, I had there, I had a full mechanic, full setup who he was very educated. He knew what he was doing, my mechanic. And he had that bike just dialed in, 
they dialed in. And when that start, when those lights took off on that start, it was like I was literally shot out of a cannon. And it was so great to be able to say, oh, I beat best, you know, like stuff like that is awesome because he's the top. Of, well, he became top of the top, you know. Yep. Here it is, this video. It shows me just walking him. And <laughs> it's great. I love it. You know, things like that. Um, it's It's great to talk about. But that was just kind of a side thing when I said to you, back when we had to start, when we had to race TT, but no, I love motocross. That's what I did. Um, I even opened up my own personal motocross training facility on our land. And I had riders, top riders were coming in, you know, to train on that and stuff too. And that's when, um, things got, it was got political with the township and that is a whole different and Everyone know that that whole case was like a high profile case that we might be able to get into in a bit. But that track alone was like the way we built it, um, the way I designed it. It was great. Everyone used to go there, um, like I said, but it was it became a political issue with the development that was across the street. And that's a whole different that was like a whole different thing. But motocross was my passion. Like I said, I turned my personal training training track into an also a training track for others to use as well. But motocross was just I loved it. That was what I liked to do, and I was very good at it. There's anti's everywhere, aren't there? Yeah, uh, especially with off roading. It's just it's not gonna. It's East Coast too gets hit a lot more if, than what. Let me ask him. I don't know where you're from. Where are you from? I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay. And go on. It's bad. It's East coast for one is gets hit, but that whole thing, um, what happened with my training facility was just so bad. When I say bad, it's almost, um, uh, to this day, uh, to this day, people have been asking me to write a book literally on the things that had happened with that whole mess. Like it was so bad. You could literally, it would be stuff that's seen on TV. It was terrible. And, um, and I still plan on writing, writing a book about that, doing something with that. It's just the timing. I believe it. I believe in timing for one. So I yeah. think everything is timing. I'm trying to get my company off the ground. I started with nothing and I'm really trying to get this up off the ground, putting everything I have into it. So right now, that's my main priority. But I do plan on coming back to that and bringing that whole thing out because I think people need to know what really happened with that whole unfortunate, bad situation, that political mess that happened with my training track because it wasn't right. It was, um, I opened it for families and kids and it was nothing but positive things going on. And they just took it and they turned it into like, it was a witch hunt. It was, it was really bad. The whole mess was bad. The, when you talk about evil people, it, it was, it was bad. And it became a high profile. What they did to me was so bad. It was, it was, I mean, everyone knows about that. Um, and that's kind of what made me after that whole mess happened with my training facility, DSS most wanted was on the back burner. And then that's what made me just go into that fully. Cause my, my passion is off-roading. I love ATVs. 
Um, it's just something you got to take what your passion is and let it define you. So that's what I'm doing now. And, um, because I was in, in our industry, I became Susan Parker. I'm Susan Parker. That will never, even though I'm not racing, it's still me. And I still have that passion and that's never going to leave me. And that's why to this day, even though I don't race, I'm still drawn back into the off-roading some way, somehow. So, and that's what I'm saying. Like back then when I started, I started as not knowing anything. My, like I said, nobody raced, nobody did anything. And here I was someone, Oh, I want to race. I want to race. And, you know, I even started out on a warrior, which is funny. And I just, it was about the passion and the drive that I had. I didn't have, even when I raced nationals, I didn't have a pro mechanic. I didn't have a good mechanic. I had a mechanic, but it was all me. I drove, I did that. I made everything happen. I just, I remember even when I started racing, you know, how shocks, like shocks are so intricate where you got to mess with them, change them, do this for this track, this track changes. You got to, and I just remember running what I had from one race to the other, not doing any of those things. It was just my passion and my drive that made me the top of where we were at with the women and the men in that industry. It was my passion and my drive that did that. And that will never be something that anyone can take away from me, nor the accomplishments that I did in that industry. Um, and like I said, like, and I got to meet so many people in this. Um, as you might know, I did the American Chopper episode when they build uh, with Paul Jr. I, build. I was reading that and I never saw that. <laughs> I, they called me because they said, now because I didn't have a signed contract and I wasn't a star on the actual show, um, you, didn't get a lot, you didn't get to actually see a lot of the things that actually went on there, but they called me and I had to take my personal machines over to their track in New York um, where they brought out the build that they made. And I was actually, I got to test it and give feedback on it. I was one of the main ones behind the scene and people don't actually know that, but they te we tested my machines and we compared it to the build that they did. And I had to give feedback and things like that. And, um, I remember that too, their main character, um, who was in the quad build episode, he was so nervous when they brought the quad out because I guess he didn't want to flip it or ruin it or anything like that. And I was there with my machines and I said, well, why don't you just give, give it to me? I'll ride it and I'll give you full feedback. And I said, give me two laps and I'll do every jump on this track. So that's too cool. I remember Paul Jr.'s face when I came across the finish line and just launched it and he was like what in the and they're like yeah so then it seemed like ever since I did that then um they were totally into it and I I ended up being the main one talking about all the products and how it handled and the features of it and things like that so that was a neat thing that we got to do also um you have that taped yeah I have all I have everything yep and I have all the pictures and you I, just send that to me 
I will. <laughs> it was very cool. And Vinny actually flipped one of my machines. And it's it's a whole like things that you didn't get to see. It's like a whole cool thing. That's awesome. That's so yeah. awesome. I never knew they did. I never knew they did an ATV thing. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. It's people don't know that. And like I said, I was one of the main people that was actually involved with it. But again, because I wasn't actually on the show signed contract, I wasn't like featured like, like I should have been, but I have all the behind the scenes and everything we did like that. But, you know, I got to meet a lot of cool people though in this um, by me doing all this. And like as H bomb films, as you know, Wes Miller yep. was in the whole one, two, and three, the box set of Huevos Grandes. Okay. Um, that was a really good, uh, we got great responses from that. I remember being at the premiere at one of them at Wes's premiere in California. And when my episode came on in one of the videos, people were just going crazy because it was jumps that I was doing that men were not doing like at some of these um tracks that we were filming at there were some people you know weren't hitting some of the things and i'm like here we'll start filming i'll hit it and we just i did crazy things like i'm known to be the jumping i'm really known to be like for like i used to just hit every jump whatever jump the pros were doing i was going to do it and that's just how it was <laughs> i hate jumping <laughs> I'm a desert, I I'm a desert guy. I, I, I want to keep my wheels on the ground. <laughs> That's too funny. That is awesome. That is so awesome. You raced with Heather. You raced with yes. Angela. Mm -hmm. Who was your fiercest competitor? Oh, my God. Again, because they were just so fast. Um, you never knew what was going to happen. Like, just like what I was telling you about the pro men you never knew who was going to win or whatever, or what was going to happen in that moto because they were both so talented. So, you know, I can't really say who was, both of them were. And back then, Leslie Wells, she was also. I forgot all about that. I just. Yes. I, I had to so those three were like, there's no women to this day that are like those three. It's just how it is. Like I, I say how it is. There, there's just. Though it was a rare, rare few women that could ride the way we rode. And it was those names that I just mentioned right there. It was incredible. And I just, I just remember after I started out, people like, oh, you should try a national or two. And you kept hearing about Heather Rose at the time. It was Heather Rose and Leslie Wells. And you're in the magazines. And things like that. And I remember seeing an article, they were both interviewed and they were said they were the best of the best. The world's, this was the top line. And people were like, you need to go to a national and race. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, you need to enter and go against them. And I was like, oh, I don't, you know, you're like, I don't know. And I remember, I'll never forget. It was at London, Kentucky. And I showed up here, me not being, no one knew who I was. I was from Pennsylvania. It raced local tracks. I was nothing. And I remember being, I, it blew my mind. I'll never forget this. I was out front. So I was winning the race against these two. And I remember, I'll never forget it. They call them the Ten Commandments there in the spectator. 
and I was hitting them. And that's how I started gaining because no one else was hitting those. So I was actually hitting all those. Um, and I remember being out front and during the actual race, I remember thinking, oh my God, am I actually ahead of these two? Like it was, I was like, what, like, is this for real? Like, is this a dream or what am I doing here? And from that day on, I knew I could compete with these women. And I just started doing a little bit more and more of the nationals. And then we ended up doing all of them and went from two or three to, you know, do, of course, doing the whole circuit. But I do forget that. I'll never forget that. When I was out front at that race and I remember, what is this real? Like, that is supposed to be Heather and Leslie, right? Like I am in the, I am with them. They are behind me, right? Like this is crazy. (laughs) I remember, I'll never forget that exactly where it was at and everything on that track in my mind at that time, I was like, wow. And from then on, we just started blowing up. I mean, all of us, everyone, the women's class would get so packed with spectators because I remember when I first started, hardly nobody would go up and watch them. When I came into the picture and then Angela came into the picture and then you already had Heather and Leslie and then you never knew what was going to happen from moto to moto, it became so popular that I remember the women's class started getting just as much spectators as the men's pro class. It was crazy. And then that's when everything started. Like Wes Miller came into the picture and I told you everything's that timing thing. Yep things timing. So then he started asking me to shoot videos. And then, then of course I was young and I was in my prime. Then I got offered, I started getting all kinds of other things offered to me. Um, like stuff with rough rider records. And I met, uh, notorious BIGs, uh, friends and actually one of the, one of his friends came with me to the race in Canada. And I started race, uh, just started meeting celebrities and doing things like that, that you wouldn't even think of, you know, my jerseys have all kinds of celebrities, um, signed and things like that. And it just became, wow, like, this is so nuts. Great. That's awesome. Um, what was your, your career, your pro span? What year to what year? Okay, so let's see. I started 97, 1997 was when I told you I started doing like a couple here and there. And then I believe that following year, which was 98, I started fully doing the nationals. And then I believe it was from, I was actually at a pro, when I told you my motor blew up in Canada. They had invited me and that event in Canada was an invitation only. Not anyone can just go to that event. So I was invited back the next year. Well, when I was invited back, which is funny, I'll have to send you, I have an interview from there. They interviewed me and they said, you are the only female here at this event. What do you think you're going to do? And I said, I will be in the top 10. And that's when I was so young. I even look so it's crazy how I look, but um, they invited me. That's why motor blew up. And then the next year they invited me back again. And would you believe um, there was some rack, there was some 
criminal activities and things going on in Canada where they were robbing like Americans rigs at the hotels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And notorious BIGs and little Kim, the rappers that, that friend of theirs that um, she was like, help manage them and things like that. She went with me to that race. And I had one of the guy, one of the mechanics from East coast ATV with me and things. And we all went up to succeed at this race. Cause I wanted to be known as the woman that finished the top 10. So we were up there and would you believe um, when we came out of the hotel the next morning, my rig was gone. They stole it vanished off the face of the earth. My whole, my truck, my trailer, everything was gone. We literally were left with nothing. So we came back, we all had a little, it was so devastating. And I think that was my, that's what took me out of, and I believe that was in the year, cause you asked me um, my timeline here. I believe that was around the year 2000 is when that truck and trailer got stolen. And that took me out financially. It took us out. Like that was one big blow. Like it was crazy. So basically I blew up from 1997 to around that time frame. It was like 2000, 2000 ish, 2001. I I believe that happened in 2000 and it it financially, it just, it just took us out. Like it was, that's what was my breaking point. I get it. Wow. That's crazy. Yes. And then that's when I told you about the Banshee with East Coast ATV. And right after that is when I was offered that ride to do all the big flat track races. And then that's when I was doing that. So that was right after that, I started doing that. And then um, that I did that for like a year with him. And um, kind of then it was, uh, I opened up my training facility and things like that, um, that I opened up in 2010, I opened that up to the two people that were, could come and train like that. And, um, 2010, it wasn't long after that is when that whole political mess just broke. It was crazy. It was bad. It was, that was a whole big mess. And, um, it, that's kind of where I was at. So to answer your question, um, it was probably, I really blew up from 1997 to 2000 when that happened in Canada. Wow. How close, uh, where did you end up in the, in the nationals in 97, 98, 99? 97 back then that's when they were having, so that you could do the whole national circuit and then be the national champion out of those whole races for the circuit. But then back then they also had where it was separate. So at Loretta Lynn's, if you just ran that one race at Loretta's, you could become like, if you won, that was like a separate from the actual whole entire circuit. So I remember in 97, I won that championship in Loretta Lynn's. I won that. And then, like I said, then I started doing the full circuit and, um, I would get, uh, like I said, Angela and Heather and Leslie, they were, you, you couldn't, you had to be on your game. They aren't, they are nothing to play with. So I had a couple, you know, mechanical breakdowns, crashes, things like that, like that we all have. So I never actually in the full circuit, I I have a bunch of seconds and things like that, thirds, stuff like that. But 
as far as like just the Loretta's, I did win that championship, but I, um, in like the national circuit, I was like second, third stuff like that, but it was still up there. I mean, they're the best of the best. They are banging bars with those, with those three and yourself. That's pretty badass. Yes. And that's why I'm telling you the, the spectators would be up there watching us more than the, sometimes more than the pro men. It was crazy. Like we really had audience. We captured, like I said, that whole timing was like, you won't get that again. It was crazy. And then, so with the men, because see with Angela, Heather, Leslie, and me, so that's like four. When you compete then with the men, so now it's a whole different game because you have a whole gate full. So I remember with me, I could compete more. I don't, I can't say, I can't say better. It's just, it's a different because there's, it's so many of them where with the women's, it was narrowed down to four with the men, you have what 20. 20 or whatever. So I would really be, probably more better competing with the male just because it was so much involved. Like there were so many of them and it was not just a, a handful. So I remember with the male, like in our district races, when I wasn't doing nationals, I would be here doing the, the A classes, the male A classes in the districts. So, I mean, I was right up there. And like I said, that pro race in Canada at first, before my engine blew up, I believe I was like in third or fourth position. The person in front of me was Travis Spader. <laughs> that's, it, that's how competitive we were. Like we were up with the male pros. I remember, um, you know, a lot of the pros, I'd pull whole shots on them and they'd be like, oh my God, like kidding around. Oh my God, a woman that does that. that that's like my heart, right? Like they kid, you know, like, cause you put pulling your whole shots on these top males and, competing and it was just they always had jokes and stuff about oh there's the love of my life a woman that does that is like you know it's cool joking and stuff like that but they they actually the males were like very respectful like a lot of the pro males were like believe it or not like you'd think it'd be the opposite because that is in most sports but they were awesome with it a lot of them would just like kid and laugh and because they were they knew what it took yeah. I this question. You've always been in great physical shape. Mm-hmm. What did you do different than a, some of the men struggled with it and some of the other, the ladies didn't work as hard as you did. Well, this is what's actually funny. Um, like I said, I never even used to change my shocks from race to race. Like it was great. Didn't do anything besides your normal maintenance or whatever with the machines. But I think for me, what I was telling you was it was my natural inner drive, my work ethic drive and my passion because believe it or not, and you could ask Heather this, she made a comment um, to um, John Natalie's wife. And she said, she came here to train with me one time and she was like in awe because she's like, you really don't even train. He's like, that's crazy. And really didn't like when I say train, I told you I used to race between nationals. I'd race like the district races. 
but I didn't really train train like I should have been. Like now with me being older and things like this, and you look back and you see things now that you just, because you were so young and just into your own world, you didn't see things like you do now. So I look back now and I'm like, wow, if I would have actually did what I was supposed to be doing, because I know Heather put a lot of time, um, her and Joe Bird would put a lot of time into training, like during the week, very serious um, gym stuff, off the gym stuff, cross training stuff, riding, everything. Those two out of everybody really put their all into that sport. And I just remember not doing any of that. Yes, I would ride, but I wasn't, um, I think it was, for me, it was kind of natural, which now I look back and I, I want to be like, I wish I would have because, oh my goodness, imagine what I might have been able to do if I would have trained like Heather. But I think for me to answer your question is, I, I, yes, I raced, like I said, between at the district races and stuff like that. But during, the, I never really trained. So, which is funny because now I look at it and I'm like, wow. And like I told you, I never would adjust shocks or do things like that. And I look back and I'm like, I had to really be passionate to accomplish well, some of the things I did. You had to have been pretty strong then because you're riding a machine that's not easy to ride. I mean, it is and isn't. And you you had to have done, you, you had to have a lot of physical genetics that were good because, yes. <laughs> you know. It has to be, because like I said, and then when I told you in 2000, when I was done, um, I was trying to get in shape and it was just something stupid. It was at a, a local boxing club that was in our town. And I said, Hey, am I allowed to just work out here? I heard a lot of things about working out for boxing and stuff like that. And it was, I was still racing at the time. And I said, well, maybe, maybe this was my attempt to get in shape. I was like, well, maybe during this off season, the winter now I'll do boxing to get in shape for motocross. They're like, sure. Um, we'd love to have you. So I started training at this local boxing well, a lot of people do know this about me. Um, I became so good at it so fast. They had asked me to um, box the Golden Glo- the Pennsylvania Golden Gloves boxing tournament. I was like, I don't know. So I just did it because I'm the type that like to do something and say you've done it. So I didn't want to look back and have, have any regrets ever. So I went ahead and did it. And I, knocked, I ended up knocking the girl out in the second round. And I won the Pennsylvania Golden Gloves Boxing Champion, and they asked me to do another uh, championship. It was in the Lancaster region, and I did that and the same thing. I won that match, and they had asked me to sign a contract. It was at a pro gym in Reading, Pennsylvania, and they wanted me. I was supposed to have my first pro fight at the Tropicana in Atlantic City, and they broke out this contract. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because boxing was not my passion at all. It wasn't something I wanted to pursue. It was just something at the time I was offered and I didn't want to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have tried it. So it was something I wanted to try and see what happens. But as soon as they broke out that contract, I was like, this is not what I want to do. It was all supposed to be a trading for motocross ATVs. 
So I ended up not, I just backed away from the deal and I, I just ended up not doing it then, but it's crazy because Wes Miller actually put me in. He came to my training facility in Reading PA and he filmed a lot of our training and it is in one of the episodes in one of the Huevos videos. That's so cool. So I was supposed to go pro for that too, but I, like I said, it wasn't in my heart with boxing. That's a whole different, you got to have that drive. Um, you got to have that passion and that's just not what I, what's something I wanted to do. So I ended up backing out of the contract. I didn't sign it. And that's where that ended too. So I never went back to it. That was the end of that. It was something I said I did, I could have done, and that was it. But, and that was my attempt. See, when you asked me about training, that was my attempt to get in shape or, but I really didn't. When you asked me that, that came from that, but I never really like trained like Heather and Joe and things like that. Um, it was kind of natural for me. You are so lucky. Yes. <laughs> to, have, to have natural physique and the strength to do what you did. You know, I was Doug Eichner's mechanic for a number of years and his training regimen in his later years got more aggressive. But when we were younger and when we were doing the nationals, he didn't train near as much as people think. I'm telling you, no one think I'm telling you. And there'd be people like out partying and I'm like, how the heck did they even race the next day? It was, you know, they don't do like, it's come. It's weird what you said. Yes. Like there's some people that just, I'm like, how did they even function? wonder if we would actually train, you know, like stuff like that. Um, cause I know me, we'd eat like McDonald's and stuff before a moto. Yeah. Crazy. That is crazy. Like I look back now and I'm like, no, like that's not something you do. In fact, it's crazy because when I used to race, they're like, well, you got older now and you actually look, your body looks just as so sometimes even better than because now I'm like paying attention and I'm working out in the gym when I didn't do that. Like it's, it's just nuts. It's like, they're like, how do you look just as good, if not better, like as your body type thing back, like when you were younger compared to now. And I was like, yeah, see, that's what I said. I wish I would have, you know, now that you're older, you see things that you didn't see. Well, it was natural then. Yeah. Natural. Your body was just naturally made for it. And if you would have used your tools and trained and did, did certain things, you'd have been even better. Yes. And I look back, I often think of that. I'm like, oh my God, I can't even imagine if I would have been doing what I was actually supposed to be doing, what I could have done in the male, in the men's class. It was crazy. But like I said, I have no regrets. No, I met the best people. That was the funnest times. That was the most competitive times. I mean, even not like if you look at the races now um, and you look at the gates, when we used to race, it was full gates. The people were packed. It was that whole era was just phenomenal. Like so much support and people into it that like I told you the timing, 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 timing. I came into it 
when all this was happening. And that was the best time ever to get into it was when I was in it. Well, the, the, the industry supported itself and, and carried itself. And it was just right before the factories came in and screwed everything all up. I know. I mean, it was great that the factories did. Some guys made some money. Uh, you know, it, it, it did some good the first time. The second time they came back, it, 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 it hurt the industry because uh, financially, the independents, you know, we just can't pay what the factories did. And, and, you know, it's like if you talk to the old school guys like Jimmy White and Marty Hart and, and Mike Coe and some of the other guys, you know, they made great money in the late seventies, early eighties to race ATVs. And when the pros went away or when the factories went away, the money went away. And most of these guys stopped racing at that point. The people that were fans and coming into the sport never realized they weren't going to make any money, but they were so passionate about it. And that's the, that's where you generate the, the Jobers, the Doug Gust, you, you know, and the, the Shane hits and, and these guys, they did it for the passion and the love of the sport. Most of them didn't make any money. I know. And your average person that's not in it, in it does not see it. They see us on videos and magazines and TV. So when, for instance, when that happened to me in Canada, when they, stole my whole rig your average person don't understand they're like well how what do you mean like just pick up and go and they don't understand because they they feel that they see the tv us being in magazines playstation games all that and they don't understand that's ourselves support we're doing that nobody's giving us money to be you know and they don't understand like when that happened to me they're like well, you are who you are. So just, what does it matter? Just go get a new rig, go get, and I was like, that's not how it works in this industry. Yeah. There's no money. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I, I don't have a big check coming in to, <laughs> to pay for uh, a new bike and a new truck and a new trailer. And how am I going to, how am I going to fix this? Correct. You know, I mean, everything does happen. I, I've been very blessed and very fortunate that I have gotten to do the things that I've done. And, and my brother's made some very good business decisions to keep the company going when um, the financial crash happened in, in, in 2008, nine and 10. Um, You know, we, we, we stayed afloat because the the preparation, you know, the 10 years prior, you know, there, there was no debt, the, you know, the company was in good standing and, you know, we have a pretty good name and we, you know, we kept selling parts and, and kept doing work and uh, we didn't make a, didn't make a lot of money then, but we, we kept our head above water. And uh, here we are, you know, as the economy got better in 16 and, and it was almost like a resurgence. And now I would like a day off. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not telling you don't, I'm not telling you not to call, but you know, a day off would be great. Yeah. And yeah, I get yeah, It's everything that you said. And like I said, it's good that you're doing interviews like this and 
telling stories and stuff because your average person that's out there, and I mean the ones that are reading the magazines, the people that are looking at, they don't get, they don't under, they have no idea at all, like just how this ATVs work. And like I told you, unfortunately, it is what it is, but they make this persona that we're these superstars in that industry and we get all this money and we get paid like other athletes in other sports and you know yes I was on my image and stuff was used on a Sony PlayStation game and yes I was in Huevos Grandes videos and yes I get to I got to meet all kinds of different celebrities and do things like American Chopper and all that but that's what they see but they just, it was ourselves and I, me, myself, and I that did that. I mean, it wasn't nobody. It was, and that's what makes us stand out and makes our sport so unique. And because the passion that's there, no other sport or people have that passion. You don't do things we did with no money. It just doesn't happen, especially in this society with the lack of morals and respect that people have, there is none of that anymore. And I don't even think the average person knows what passion is. I I really don't. But when you look at people from our generation and our timing and that sport, we will show you what passion is. They have no idea. Like we done all that with our own money. Nobody gave us anything. Right. You know, I mean, companies like Duncan Racing and and Baldwin and Lagers and Roll and and, and you know Axis. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's so many I can't even name them all. You know, Sparks and and they all put it together, and we all got together and we 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 sponsored riders, we built product, and we built the industry and and carried it on our backs. And um, if it wasn't for an amazing group of people to ride our machines and and do the things they did, um, we would have never been where we were, you know, I mean, because we couldn't, we couldn't pay guys to go do it, but we could build a machine and put them on it. And, uh, you know, they had to drive themselves there or, or get their own airline ticket or whatever it was mm-hmm. to get there. But there was a bike sitting there waiting for them to ride. Yeah, I know. And that's why I said, even though, so when they make, when you have a name that would, when you have a big name that was established from our sport, I'm thinking, well, because we never really got money from it or we never profited from it, why not do something that you worked hard to get and you put a lot of time and effort into and make it into something? So that's why also I use my name that I got in that industry that was created in that industry. And I used it to make a company that now I can move on with and still do my passion, but it still stands behind everything that I stood behind when I was racing ATVs. And that was one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to use the name that I accomplished in that sport and make a company and move, keep moving on with it. And that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome. That's awesome. You got it. You got to. And you know, ATV talk is a, um, is just a love of the sport basically. Um, because 
talking to you and talking to the people that I've, that I've spoken to and the people that are going to um, come on the show and the things that we're doing. Um, all of this, all of this comes out of my pocket. I don't, you know, we, we have, it's just like going to race your ATV. The sponsors, the sponsors for an ATV podcast are, 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 are slight and, and slim. Uh, I know that Cody Jansen has got his going and, and he's a, a year or two in front of us and, and he has some, some good contacts and he has some good sponsors, but ATV talk, um, maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I didn't start it for a financial gain. I started it for the love of, of the sport and wanting to talk to people uh, like myself and, and, than a lot of people that aren't like me, the people that maybe, you know, I only knew you briefly or knew of you and, and seen you at the races for a short time uh, before we moved back to the West coast and started racing on the West coast again. Um, but there's so many contacts and so many people that I know from that era um, and then racing as much as we have all over the world and, and on the West coast, it, um, I'll never get to the end of the list. That's what I'm trying to say. There's so many people. And that's what I'm saying. That whole, it, it, it's undescribable. It, it, it is. And I told you, I think that's why that whole mud bogging scene remind me a lot of the TV people in that time frame that when I raced. And I think that's what keeps drawing me to that because the people are just I'm telling they're they're identical they're they're exactly like that and I think that's why I'm I just keep going into that and besides it growing and growing like that industry is growing so much it's crazy it's like crazy popular it's the end thing everyone's doing it now all these parks are doing it but besides all that the people that go there remind me a lot like the ATV people and I think that's why I'm drawn to it so much well, it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun, and some of those videos are pretty cool. And some <laughs> of the why like, did they come up with that idea? It's some of the parks too; they're crazy. Some of the stuff that you do see is crazy. So you see, some of them are crazier than others. But like I said, you get that whole group of like different people. But when it comes down to it, um, despite the parks being different from each other, it's still those people are still in a nutshell. They just remind me of that time frame back when I raced with how everyone was back then. And I think, like I said, I think that's why I love it so much. And I travel from Texas all the way to New York and up and down the coast doing what I do because I, again, it's my passion. I love it. And, but when the people are like that from where I'm used to coming from, from that time framing and from the absolute best time of my life, I just think that's what keeps me doing what I want to do. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Did you ever get to go to Blackwater? No. You want to talk about crazy. <laughs> and I heard about it. No, I heard all kinds of things about it. Yes. I got, to, I got to go with Bob Sloan one time and you know, I'm a, I was a green kid, you know, I was barely in my twenties, 
and you know really had no idea i mean i, I was still in i was still starstruck you know meeting bob sloan one of my atv heroes at the time you know i mean i talked to him on the phone and i shipping parts and you know my brother had been dealing with him for years and uh, you drive across that wooden bridge and the military are on one side you know the the civilian side and then you cross that wooden bridge and it's almost like anything goes you know and the first thing i see is a guy on a 185s with no shoes on his shirt and clothes his shirt and pants were the same color and you could tell it was you know just like gray from being washed together you know and the, the the fringe is all worn off the bottom of the pants and the shirt's all, you know, old and holy and ripped up. And and he's holding the Budweiser. His beard is so long, it's parted down the middle and draped over each shoulder. And he don't have no teeth. Yeah. And I mean, you think I'm kidding? This is the- No, I... <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. It reminds some of these events that we do, especially the ones in Florida. um, Well, they call it trucks gone wild for a reason. So (laughs) I totally, yeah, can relate what you're saying. That's kind of the things that you see at these. So yeah, it's crazy when you see them because, you know, at first we're used to what we're used to. The whole professional, national motocross circuit and things like that. And then when you get thrown into that mix, you're like, Whoa. Well, and- you know, I got my team shirt on when I go across the bridge, <laughs> and, you know, hair's combed. And I'm like, um, are we safe, Bob? Oh yes. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You don't worry about it. We'll be good. Yeah. The most craziest people, but the most down to earth, nicest people though. It's crazy. Give you, they, they would give you, like, if you yes. didn't have something to eat, they would feed you. And, you know, you, you know, if you needed a place to sleep, hey, here's a sleeping bag, you know, there's a spot right over there. Don't worry about it. And, 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 and you just fit right in with the group. And it, it was awesome. Yeah. And that's how these people are. Like, for instance, um, you know, some of the big heat press machines and the vinyl cutting machines that we use, I have to have my generator. I mean, my generator is like so important. And one time, um, had generator issues and I'm like panicking because I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do at this event? And the next thing I know, there's someone hauling a whole big generator up saying you wanted a generator. Here it is. It's delivered. I was like, what? (laughs) It's like, I don't even know these people. Like I had no idea. And that's how, that's why I'm saying they remind me so much of the ATV people. It's crazy. And that's, that would have happened at an ATV national. Yeah. You know, you that's need why I, it's that's why I think I'm drawn to that industry and not that. And it's awesome. It just so happens again, the timing thing. When I got into this mud bogging thing, I remember saying to myself, wow, like I started out in New York and there's a huge one in New York. And what's funny is they asked me because at the time we were called ATVs Most Wanted. And they wanted me to come up. They had called me up there and said, can you bring some of your girls and stuff and promote and stuff like that? Well, they were having a flat track race up there at the same time this event was going on. So some guy was like, if I give you a quad, would you race it? 
And I was like, okay. And I think that the helmet cam shots and they put helmet cams on and stuff like that. That video is still on. I think that's on YouTube also, but I took this guy's quad and I just remember walking him. Like I beat him by like, so I don't even remember what it was crazy. And I remember because I did that at that event, it pulled so much attention to ATV's most wanted that I became like this little icon in that, in that particular, that mud bogging event. So it was so successful that I remember looking back now going, I remember saying, going, man, I wish these events were everywhere. I could do, they are. make this company and take it to, so I've seen so much potential in that, in that industry that I'm like, oh my God, I wish. So I started out in New York and I just start, kept looking on the researching, looking, asking around, blah, blah, blah. And that timing thing that I told you about, at that time, it started, then Florida, I heard about the Florida events, then I heard about this and that. And I just went out in a limb, I took my trailer, showed up and just started doing, not knowing how they were going to respond to my company or my background or anything about me. And I just did it. And this timing thing, this mud bogging, we started right when I started doing this, started becoming popular, 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 blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. That Now you hear like the diesel brothers in on it. You hear trucks going wild. Like it's crazy now. And I'm already got my foot into it. I got a lot of respect in that industry now itself. And now I'm starting to get booked here, there, here. And so now I could almost, if I wanted to, probably book an event every weekend in some state if I wanted to. And it's crazy. Like I told you about that timing thing. So now we're like booked all over all these different states, all these different big events. And I must be doing something right. Because like I said, um, I get a lot of feedback from parks. They tell us the customers love us. Um, They see how some of the events I'm even doing it all by myself. Um, And I think that alone as a female doing that, I get a lot of respect. And I'm starting to get booked at events that companies are on a waiting list to get in. And I've only been fully going at this for two years. And what I've already accomplished in that industry is incredible for what I've done in two years. So like I said, I must be doing something right again, because there's a lot of respect for me now in that. And so, like I said, I just think there's so much more. I'm only scratching the surface right now. I plan on doing so much more with the company and that, and there's going to be a lot of future things that I think we're really going to take off in this industry. So that's my ATV world. That's where it's at. And that's why I think I'm so passionate about it because I'm being drawn from the past and my passion with those people is now into this. And because this is blowing up now, that's where I'm at. And it's like, almost feels like that's where I'm supposed to be. It's like crazy. You are. That's, I can see your eyes. eyes light light (laughs) are talking about it. It's awesome. Um, When you, uh, I lost my train. I lost my, my train. I thought I had a question for you and, and now I kind of blew it, but, um, do you plan on getting a second rig or getting help? 
Uh, you know what? A lot of people asked me um, because, okay, I'm going to get to that. But as far as like what I told you I'm doing now with the business, I wanted to touch more onto the West Coast because right now I'm doing all Southern states and East Coast. And my goal was to go more out West and go to like some of the big sand dune events and stuff like that. And you know, I plan on doing all kinds of things like sponsoring riders for pro watercross, pro snowcross, things like that. That's all what I told you is coming and in the mix in my future. But as far as riding, I've been asked, you know, everyone has been asking me, you know, you have one life to live, blah, blah, or blah, blah, blah. Do you want to do it again? And I always answer, of course, it's my passion. I would love, I threw around doing possibly some of the works races. I, some, maybe some desert things. I do like that was all my kind of on the back burner, but not everyone's always asked me every year, are you going to ever do any races ever again? And I'm always up in the air. I'm like, if the opportunity comes, then I will do it. And like I told you, I believe everything's about timing. That's my whole thing is timing and opportunities. That's kind of what it is. Cause I used to do the 12 hour races in Canada. Mm -hmm. I did a couple of those. We were very successful at it. Um, when I did it, we dominated. I think we came in, um, Adrian, I brought her in Adrian Cooper. I brought her in on my team. The one year we dominated so much. I think of course we won the women's, but we were also with the men. I think we came in like ninth or 10th or something out of 80 male teams. And we had a stock machine. We didn't have pros working on our, you know, so people ask me, would you race? Would you do this? And my answer to you is I'm always open-minded. I'm always for anything and everything. I proved that. Um, I never like to look back and say, Oh, I wish I would have done that. Um, to you, my answer would be if the opportunity is there. Yes. Timing's there, yes. I take it as it comes. I go with the flow. So, Are yes. Are you a thumb or a twist? Huh? Are you a thumb or a twist? Thumb. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> you start riding a motorcycle. Got to get that twist throttle thing going. And you know what's funny? If you look, if I hold up to this day, if I hold up my two palms, which you can't see, but this one is like so huge, my thumb muscle. And then when you look at my other one, it's like, flat. it's so funny. Like, uh, yeah. So <laughs> got to learn how to use a twist throttle. Come on now. I've actually tried it. Didn't I, work out? No. <laughs> and not at all. <laughs> Did you do any motorcycle stuff uh, like crossover? Yeah, I tried that too. I actually bought, like when I was running nationals, I purchased a dirt bike. And because I know Travis Stunnett, Travis Spader, John Natale, he was really, John Natale was like crazy good on a dirt bike. It was nuts. And I know a lot of them were. And I'm like, well, let me try it. Oh, no. I could never ride a bike half. No, I was just never comfortable on it. Never. I've tried, though. Like I said, I'm open minded. I'm willing to try anything. But that just did not pan out for me at all not even a little so i just i do not like them <laughs> and it's crazy yeah that's too funny 
That is too funny. I, I'm the, actually the the individual that's featured on ATV Talk this week, who actually launched today, um, is Travis Damon. He's a professional works rider in the motocross or in the motorcycle division, and he races professional quads. So, um, it, you know, it, 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 you start looking back at the history of ATVs. Gary Denton, yeah. Motorcycle racer turned ATV racer. Um, Bo Barron, Dustin Nelson, it, you know, and I'm sure that there's guys that I'm missing in our in our past that did it as well. It, it, you know, uh, Doug Eichner can ride a motorcycle really well. You know, Mike Sloan could ride a motorcycle really well. And, and these are just guys that I know that I've dealt with. You know, um, uh, Barry McCarty who raced back in the motocross and in the GNC. Um, he's winning motorcycle races now. Sean Finley, ATV guy, riding motorcycles, doing stuff uh, now. You know, they're much older, but they're still doing it. And uh, it's it's crazy. Chuck DeLulu, a three-time GNCC champion, is running a, a, a team for Husky. So uh, there's so much crossover to the motorcycle stuff you need to get back on a two wheeler. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think we're uh, doomed on that subject. Ah, uh, come on. Uh, Thinking my, uh, one of the, one of the young ladies that I help, um, she wants to learn how to ride both. So she's got a 80, a Kawasaki 80 that she rides to learn how to ride a motorcycle and races a quad. You know, and you know that that's how she trained herself to use a twist throttle, riding that little bike. It's not I, that bad. Come on now, not <laughs> that bad. Oh my! It's only skin; it grows back. You know why? You know what I think it is. It's like when you're so used to being really good at something, and then you go to something that you're just terrible at. It's hard to go down. You know what I'm saying? So when you're doing something you're terrible at, you're like, oh, forget it. I'm not doing it. Because it's so uncomfortable. It's so not your your thing. And you just put it off like that's it. It's you know, it's not your comfort zone. So well, when you're out of your comfort zone, it's bad. You've been a blessed athlete that you had natural ability that you didn't have to fight for. Right, right. When you have to go back and fight, sometimes yeah. you struggle with it mentally because you're not used to having to work so hard to do something. And and you get that with uh, a lot of your really good, talented amateurs. And then they get to the pro class and it's a totally different thing. Now I got to work hard for this. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go train that hard or I don't want to have to eat dirt for a couple of years to get fast again. So yes, that's- I get it. I get it. You know, it, it, the same thing goes for me. I'm a mechanic. I'm not, a, I'm, I've ridden, I've raced, but I'm not, a. am not that guy. I, I, I work on them. And the challenge of the modern day machine with the fuel injection, you know, it's not as, it's not as new as it was, you know, in 2006, but there's struggles, the electronics, understanding them and, and, and going there. And uh, so I get it. I totally get what you're talking about. 
but don't 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 quit because because you know if you want to go ride there's teams that may listen to this and and call you up because they may want to put you on a machine but some are limited thumb twist um there are some thumb twist stuff I, we had one on our uh on our Q1 bike uh for a couple of years so just hold on to that and and maybe come out in the west coast and then ride some desert so that you can get used to it because there's more opportunities for that i think than racing in the east and not to mention like i said it's the east coast in general it's just bad like a lot of places are being shut down you can't even ride any like even if you wanted to train it's so bad. You there's not even tracks anymore that you can go do any type of riding. It's really on the East Coast. It's bad. It it is, and just even like um, even the events I told you I'm do, involved with now, uh, like for New York, for instance, with this COVID uh, mess going on, they haven't even been. They were they weren't even allowed to have any type of event. They've been shut shut down this entire time. So it's like they just give them, and even before COVID, they give them such a hard time because I'm I'm really good friends with the owners of these parks, and we always have these discussions, and it's just terrible. Like I just, and he even says the East Coast is done. Like it's, you know, it's it, it really is. Like that's the reality of it. And I told you, I even started even my company with the mud bogging world. I started in New York. That's that's where I started out. That so much people used to think I'm from there. And I was like, and now it's all, it's moving. It's going south. And now where you guys are, it's like south and west coast is like where it's at. All my events that I have booked are like all south. It's not even here anymore. So and now it's the opposite. I started there that they thought I was from New York. Now I'm doing so much southern events. And now they think I'm from down south. And they also have respect for me too, because I come all the way from Pennsylvania. Like I told you, I drive straight through, then we set up and then we work the events and nobody's doing that. Like everyone at those events are like from local or maybe like a state over, but I'm the only one, again, my passion is just crazy. Like I just come from all the way from PA and go to all this. And I told you, I want to start doing more West Coast stuff because I haven't really touched there at all yet. And I'm curious and I want to know how they would respond. Like I said, with the sand dunes, the Baja, the, I already started looking into it. So it is a list. It's just. If you were going to come out to Glamis, Glamis, you have to get a seller's permit. And I think, um, I think you'd have to reach out to the people that own the Glamis store to find out exactly what your vending requirements are um, because there are some and you would get onto vendors row and do your thing, but you better bring an ATV with you. Cause you're going to go and want to go ride in the sand dunes. I know. And can you believe you're probably going to believe me out of all the racing I've done, I have never ever ridden in dunes. That's okay. That's crazy though. <laughs> Everyone thought I, I want to, I always wanted to, but I, you thought out of all the stuff I was involved with, all the people I met, it is crazy to this day that I have still yet 
Riding dunes. So that is on my list to do. I have to do that. You never made it out. Nobody ever brought you out to the sand dunes. No, it, that is nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, once you, once you come out this way and, and you know, it is a phenomenon uh, and it's a lot of fun and I, I've spent my whole life doing it. Um, I'm not as much of a dune fan as a lot of people are. There's some people that just live and breathe it. Um, I prefer hard pack riding myself, hard pack desert, um, mm-hmm. where most people think that that's crazy because it's whoops and rocks and, you know, it's not, it's, it's not as fun for most people, uh, where the sand dunes you can flow and you just, it's just fun. I mean, it really is. It is fun. You know, for me, it's like a every two or three year deal, but most of my friends, you know, if they don't go 10 or 12 times a year, they're upset. And that's kind of like the mud bogging stuff. It's yep. just one of those things. Cause I know for a fact, I would have never went to one of those ever. And now I'm like, that's what I'm doing. It's so it's crazy. Like <laughs> it's nuts. So yep. I get what you're saying. Like it's the same thing, but just different. That's, that's so incredible. Susan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time with ATV Talk, and I would love to hear more from you. Um, so please don't hold back. Make sure that you reach out to us and, and tell us how things are going. If you're going to come out to the West Coast, you'll have to sit down with us and, and, and do a face-to-face so that we can talk more about your racing career. I know we talked about so many different things in, in your life and in the things that are going on with you. Um, I would almost like to get really specific and talk 97, 98, 99, um, so that we can get into the events, get into, you know, how things broke down the machines that you were riding, um, and, and some of the things that you did, uh, to prepare those machines. Uh, so we could have a future episode with you and, uh, and really get down and deep to, to, to what it took for you. Yeah, because that is true. Like some of the machines, like um, we started out on like the roll designs. Like I was, you know, one of the first ones to have one of those chassis. So yeah, I think it is important to talk about those because that is what made our industry were those types of people like Doug Roll and from Roll Design and things like that. And And I think it is important to talk about everyone's product back then. Well, I would just more like to get into the things that you did and then talk about some of those, you know, wars that you had with those other ladies and, and, um, even talk about some of your men's races and and see how that all broke down for you. Um, and, and really get, you know, into more of your racing time, uh, spent on the track and, and, you know, just to, to, to focus just on that. Um, it's great to catch up. It's great to do the things. And this was a great episode and, and, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, so don't think that it's, it's, it wasn't awesome. It was, and I really appreciate your time and, and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Make sure you keep me up to speed on that so that if you ever get a West coast gig, you know, we, we got to do a little supporting for you and some advertising and get, get people out to see you. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com.
pre-printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.